Um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So you can open your Bibles to Genesis 45. Um, Brody went through uh, verse 15. We're going to pick up in verse 16. And we're going to travel through uh, chapter 46, verse 27. So we're gonna, we have a lot of ground to cover. It's going to be a journey, but it's going to be an exciting one. Uh, so I want you to follow along in the text. You can see that I'm not making any of this up. It's straight from the Bible. Uh, I know that uh, there's a lot of folks in the room tonight. Probably some people have been invited tonight because we have a meal. Um, but there's a lot of people coming in, and nobody knows what you've been going through. Not everybody knows where you've come from. And even in a crowded room, some people can still feel alone. Right? And, and you, some people can feel afraid tonight if you're in a new spot, a new place, or um, if you've moved here, uh, per, perhaps you're facing some unknowns in your life, maybe some uncertainties. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what to expect. Um, you don't know how things are going to work out, and you don't see, you know, how it's going to be solved. How is it going to be resolved? And are we going to get there? Are we going to reach our goal? Um, and that can be scary. Uh, and, and maybe it's, there's something in your personal life. Um, to, that's causing these, these anxieties, these worries, or maybe it's just the current political climate in our country that's causing some anxieties or worries or uncertainties. Whatever it is for you tonight, the word of the Lord is going to speak directly into every person's situation and experience right where we are. Uh, you're going to be shown mercy. You're going to be showered with grace. You're going to see God remind us of his promises, and we're going to be reminded of these truths Number one, Jesus is alive. Number two, Jesus is with us. Number three, Jesus reigns. He rules. He reigns. And number four, he sends us to share the good news. All right, we're going to be reminded of these truths. We're going to see that in the text tonight. Um, but first, let's do a little recap. Um, you remember at, that we left off in, in chapter 45 where Joseph said at the beginning of the chapter, he's telling his brothers, hey, come near to me. It's really me. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. God has sent me here to preserve life. God has sent me before you. So it wasn't you who did this, but it was God, right? And, and God made me ruler over the land. It wasn't anything special that I did or in me. It was God that did this. So go tell dad. Go tell dad that I'm alive, right? And so we're coming off the hills of that message where it was all about repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. We saw the reconciliation of the brothers, but now they've got a hard task. They've got to travel all the way back home and go face the man that they've been lying to for decades. They've got to go tell the truth to their father, right? They have to face the father that they've been lying to for decades, and they need to stop grieving the heart of the father and tell him that his son lives. They need to stop grieving the heart of the father. Maybe we need to stop grieving the heart of the father in our own lives. The brothers have repented. They've, they've been forgiven. They've, they've received mercy, right? They've been reconciled to the ruler of the land, and now they're commissioned to, to go and tell the good news, right? Like, how beautiful is this? Like, as our commission of, of Red Oak Church, right? This is a beautiful picture in chapter 45 of just the Christian life, right? Repent, draw near to Jesus, be forgiven and reconciled to God who is the ruler. Sit at Jesus' feet and, and feast, and then go tell other people how much you've been loved. Tell other people how much you've been given. Tell other people uh, the mercy and the grace that you've received. Right, right? The, the brothers were sitting at the table of the ruler. They were getting filled up. And now they're going to get to go out and tell other people where to find food. 
So we're called in the very same way to go into a, a famished world and tell people where to find provision. Or I've heard it once say that a, a, a Christian is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Right? If you found Christ, then you found food, and, and so we're supposed to go and tell the good news. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 45, verse 16. Let's pray before we read the text together. Father, we do pause right now, Lord, knowing that there's a lot in the, just the first 15 verses of this chapter, and there's a ton in the rest and in the next chapter. And the only way that, that we can get what we need to get out of this text is if you, Holy Spirit, speak to us tonight. So we pray right now that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that you would unstop our ears, take, remove the blinders from our eyes, Lord, that you would enlighten and enliven our hearts. Father, that you would just destroy any doubts in our minds and in our hearts as we approach this text. Lord, I pray that you would grant us to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear from you tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 45, starting in verse 16. This is God's word. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So this is um, Pharaoh's response to the news that Joseph's not an only child. That Joseph has a father and a lot of brothers. He's got a large family. And it's pretty incredible, Pharaoh's response here, right, to some foreigners. He's like, like, it shows the amount of respect and love that is garnered by Joseph in this kingdom. Right? He's, he's receiving Pharaoh's blessing. And so he goes to tell his brothers in verse 21, the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. You remember what the brothers used to tell the father that Joseph was dead? His clothes, right? You think they feel forgiven now? Joseph's like, here, I'll give you each some clothes. It's pretty incredible. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. One commentator said this was like giving Benjamin all of the birthday presents that he'd missed over the past two decades, but, but way more. And to his father, he sent as follows 10 donkeys. So, hey, we're not only going to not take your donkeys, we're going to give you more donkeys, right? The brothers were worried they were going to take their donkeys, you get 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. And then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said, Joseph said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So it's amazing that God has used a, a pagan Pharaoh to bless Israel, right? Now Joseph gives his brothers these simple yet interesting instructions. Don't fight as you're going back home. Right? Don't, don't quarrel amongst yourselves. Because I wonder how easy it would have been for them as they start traveling. Has anybody ever been on a road trip before and people got in fights in the car? Where dad is like, I will pull this car over. Don't make me stop. Like, I'll pull over. Right? The brothers are bickering. They're fighting. Like, they could 
Like, think about all the past sin and all the things they could have fought about. And Joseph knew that, right? Perhaps they were fighting over, like, um, who, who's going to come clean to dad? Who's going to talk first? Who's going to be the voice piece? Are we all going to be there? Like, how's that going to look? What's that going to look like? Either way, Joseph knew. He knew the potential amongst brothers to fight. And so he told them, hey, y'all, stay focused on the mission. You're, you're going to go, and for one thing, tell them I'm alive, tell them I'm well, tell them I'm ruling, and tell them our entire family can live because of the provision God has given us. So we're going to pick back up in verse 25. Now, before, before we do that, I want you to get a picture in your mind, okay? It's probably not going to be hard for you to do this, but think about an old man sitting on a front porch in a rocking chair. I can do that. You can do that? Everybody, think about that. You can get this picture in your mind, okay? He's sitting on the front porch in his rocking chair, and he's staring at the horizon because he sent his sons out, all of them, and he thought his only favored one. And every time he sends them out and they come back, they've come back one less son and more money. So he's probably wondering, I wonder what they're going to come back like this time. How many are going to come back? I don't know, right? And so his sons are returning, and finally, there's more sons returning that get sent out. Right? Finally. And not only the sons, but there's a ton of really awesome things, which J Jacob really likes stuff. We know that. He tries to, you know, get a lot of that stuff, right? And, and, but not only the gifts, but the good news. He has no idea what is about to happen. Verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. Pin drop. Did you hear the pin drop? And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Can you imagine Jacob's reaction? Like, like just think about this. You remember back in at the beginning of this chapter in verse 3, when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, uh, and they were what? Dumbfounded. They couldn't speak. They were like, g -g 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 uh. you know, like, and here, Jacob, how does he respond to such incredible news? Joseph's alive. My, my, favorite, my favorite son, my beloved son, is alive? He's a ruler? What? What was his response? He doubted that they were telling the truth. He doubted. This is unbelievable news. I can't begin to believe this. How, how could I dare to think like, that, he, that he's alive? How could I dare to believe that my beloved son is alive after grieving for so many decades how could, I, how could I believe this news that's incredible? And because he didn't believe them, his heart became numb. Notice it wasn't his heart was numb and then he didn't believe. It was the unbelief that led to a numb heart. But what changed this doubting old heart? Do you know what convinced Jacob to believe? It was words and wagons. Words and wagons. Now, I can't make this up. It's right in the text, right? So let's look at it together. Words and wagons, verse 27. When they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So when I first read, read this and I was studying through it, I was wondering if, like, did the brothers actually confess? Like, did they come clean to Jacob? 
or they just say, hey, Joseph's alive, surprise! We kind of thought he might be this whole time, right? But if you, at verse 27, it clearly says, yes, they came clean. How do we know that? Because it says that they shared all the words of Joseph. What were all the words of Joseph? Verse, verses 4 through 13. Look at it right here in the text. Right, verses 4 through 13, you can go back and read it. When Jacob heard about Joseph being alive and ruling, when he heard about God's sovereign sending, about God's provision, about God's salvation, about God preserving Joseph and his family, his heart was numb, but it started to become warm when he heard these words. He started to feel, right? But when he saw the wagons outside the tent, his heart believed. Why? Because the words mixed with the wagons was a beautiful combination. The words were the message. The wagons were the evidence that it was true. The wagons were giving validation to the words, right? The lavish gift laden wagons given to Jacob and his family were pointers to the reality that Joseph was indeed alive and well, and he was the ruler of the land. Why else would Jacob believe his sons who've lied to him for decades? There's no other reason, but here's some evidence, right? So, a lot of people doubt that God is who he says he is. Maybe that's you tonight. You doubt that God is who he says he is. You doubt God's word. You doubt God's done what he said he's done. You doubt Jesus is who he says he is, and that's okay. It might sound weird for a pastor to say, but God's not afraid of your doubts. God's not afraid of your questions. He, he welcomes doubts. He welcomes questions. I'm studying through the Gospel of Luke in my personal time, and with the Lord, and as I was reading through this gospel and, and then doing some research on the in introduction to the, the gospel, Luke states in the first four verses his purpose for writing this gospel. And this is the longest of all the four gospels, and he's the most detailed. He, he, he writes better than any other gospel, he, and, and he says this, he proved with certainty that Christianity is true, that the Christian faith can be proved Right? And this is what he says. As, as Christians, we can have confidence. How can we have confidence? How can we know with certainty that what we believe is true? Because the Christian faith is a biblical faith, it's a historical faith, and it's a verifiable faith. All of those things are true. Right? Luke says, I'm writing to you about things that have been accomplished amongst us. And if something's been accomplished, that means it's been fulfilled. Right, so the Old Testament are promises made. The New Testament are those promises kept. So the Old Testament is looking forward to what will happen. The New Testament confirms it has happened. It's been accomplished. Right, so the plans, the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are all historical, verifiable facts. Right? These, these are claims that are not made up. This is not fiction. This is not a myth, right? And, and what's crazy about the Christian faith is this is not one person who's claiming they found something, dug it up, and, or they were spoken to by somebody. It's saying, hey, like all of these things were done in public. None of this is done in secret. It's all done in public. You can see it. You can, it's, you, you can attest to it, right? This is true. This is verifiable. There's evidence for it. People have set out to disprove that Jesus was real, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the grave. Guess what happens when they set out to disprove that? They find facts. They find evidence. They find proof. Oh, this actually happened. 
This is actually real, right? So the evidence validates the words. The words of Joseph were validated by the wagons sent to Jacob. In his commentary, Egan Dugan says this, through Christ, the good report to Jacob echoes into each of our lives as we struggle under the shadow of death. The son who was dead is now alive. He is the Lord of the land, the crown prince of all creation. Jesus has absorbed the cost of our sin against him. If you belong to him, he has forgiven your sins and covered and clothed you in his righteousness. Jesus has freed you from the endless cycle of accusation, guilt, and self-defense of sin, shame, and suffering. Because the Father is pleased with Jesus, we are welcomed into his kingdom. God the Father and Jesus the Lord have summoned us into an internal inheritance of royal richness from which not even death can separate us. While we await our inheritance, we are given everything that we need to bring us safely there. Like Pharaoh's wagons, the Spirit confirms the truth of our invitation and brings us into the resurrection life of Jesus that we are invited to share. I mean, how many parallels, how many pointers does this chapter contain to the gospel, to Jesus, right? And this is incredible. And Jacob put his faith in the word uh, that the beloved son lives and that the beloved son wanted him to live with him too. He said, I want you to come. Right? He heard the words, he saw the wagons, and he believed. Right? And that should be the prayer of every single follower of Jesus. That, that we would, we, we've believed, we've seen the evidence, we've believed, we've seen what God's done in our lives. Maybe people won't believe my testimony. But guess what? That's why we got this. Because sharing your testimony is not sharing the gospel, but sharing the words of Christ, sharing the, the Bible, that's sharing the gospel. And there's, they're to believe the words of Christ because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, not from just our story of what God's done in our lives because there's evidence. So finally, we get to see that the whole family is gonna be reunited. The whole family is gonna be reconciled. But there's a journey ahead. So I found this map of, uh, of the journey. Hopefully the guys can put it up on the screen. Um, but the, the journey is really uh, southwest, okay? It's hundreds of miles. It's not an easy trip. Um, but, but they've got the words of the beloved son and, to cling to. They've got the provision of the wagons to bring them to the ruler. And so we're going to, with the map in front of us, we're going to launch into chapter 46, right? So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So that's where Isaac had built the altar to worship the Lord. And so now Jacob's stopping, right? Um, has anybody ever traveled with elderly folks? Yeah. It's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And um, not a lot of people like traveling, period. Much less if you're really old. Jacob's like 115. Like, that's crazy. And he's like, oh, oh Hundreds of mile journey, great. I can't wait to go on that one. Uh, it's not going to be easy. He's leaving his home. He's leaving the place that he's lived most of his life. He's leaving where his father and grandfather received the promise, a covenant blessing. It's going to come true in this land. He's leaving that land. Right? He's leaving what's comfortable, what's familiar. He's leaving the land that God promised to bless him in. But he has to trust the Lord. 
with this plan. The journey would be uncomfortable. And rightly so, he's being uprooted. Right, right, and so you can, you can believe why he would be afraid. It's unexpected what he's about to do, what they're embarking on. Unexpected journey to the unknown, right? He's never been down there. Where is he going? He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He's afraid. And so he does what we should all do when we face any type of change in circumstances or any type of fear. He draws near to God in worship. He offers sacrifices to God at Beersheba. You know, my little boys have a book that their grandparents gave them, and it's about a scared cat. And in it, it says repeatedly, whenever I get afraid, all skittish and tearful, I say a prayer. God, you are good. God, you are here. God, you are near. And I feel better. It's a very simple, but very profound prayer, right? And, and in this passage, we see Jacob do something very simple, yet very profound. It's a very powerful thing that he goes and worships the Lord at Beersheba. Because we draw near to God, he draws near to us. That's the promise we find in James. Look at verse 2 in chapter 46. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Man, what a promise. Like, what a promise to an old man embarking on an unexpected journey. God speaks to him because Jacob's fallen asleep. He calls his name twice, right? And he, and he meets him as he's beginning his journey. And imagine how this would have sounded to the original audience, to the nation of Israel, as they're hearing this for the very first time, as they're coming out of Egypt in the wilderness, and they hear these promises, these reminders, I am God. I am the God of Jacob. I haven't changed. I'm the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And don't be afraid. I know you're tempted to be afraid of the unknown. I know you're tempted because of the uncertainties that are in front of you. But I will fulfill my promise to Abraham and to Isaac, and I will make you into a great nation. And I know that you, you've received the covenant promises in Canaan, and you're leaving Canaan, but I'm going to fulfill them still because I'm going to be with you in Egypt. I'm not staying in Canaan. I'm going to be with you the whole time, on the whole journey. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to be with you in Egypt. I'll go down with you, and I'll bring you up again. Well, that's interesting. That's like a double meaning here, right? He's to, to Jacob personally, but also to the nation of Israel. He said, hey, you're going to die, but I'm going to be with you. And to the nation of Israel, the, they would have, remember Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And so their ancestors were related. Whenever he's talking to uh, Jacob, he's talking to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, the whole nation of Israel is hearing this, and they're saying, Oh, he's going to bring us up again. He's going to bring us into the promised land. He is a God of his word, and he will not let it not come to pass. And so Jacob hears this personal promise. Joseph's hand will close your eyes. You won't die before you see Joseph, your long-lost beloved son. Right? I know you're afraid. You've got hundreds of miles in front of you. 
right, to travel, but you're going to get there. Like, we don't even have that promise. We don't even have that assurance today. We hop in a car, right? You turn the GPS on. You get out Google Maps or whatever app you use, Waze, whatever it is. You don't know if you're going to get there or not, right? Here, Jacob has utter confidence that he's going to reach his final destination. What assurance this old man would have had then, right? You're going to get there. Why? Because I'm God. Joseph's going to close your eyes. You're going to see him. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that God's the same, that God hasn't changed. What an encouraging reminder for us today, right? No matter what your circumstances are, God's word to us today is, I know your circumstances might have changed, but I haven't. I know your situation might be different, but God is not. I know your environment can shift and move and change, but I don't do that. I stay the same. God is with you in life and in death. There is no reason to fear. Don't don't be afraid. God's with you. And this is not just an Old Testament promise. This is a New Testament reality because Jesus said the very same things, just not sequentially. Jesus said, I am God. I'm the great I am. Jesus said often to his disciples, don't be afraid. Do not fear. And Jesus fulfilled all of God's promises. They all find their yes in Christ. Jesus promised to be with us in our sojournings, in our journey. He's promised to be with us. When he gave us the great commission, he didn't say, hey, go do this. Good luck. No, he said, go do this and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And I've got all authority and all power in every land that you're going to go to because I'm the ruler and I reign, right? Jesus promised us that he would never leave us. He promised us that he'd raise us up after death, right? The gospel promises life when we see the beloved son. Jesus promises to bring us home. He'll close our eyes. Like he'll close your eyes. When you close your eyes, if you follow Christ, guess what? You see the beloved son. So God's saying, I've got you. Trust me. Jacob wakes up and continues his journey. And I'd have to imagine that he's got a pep in his old step after that night's sleep, right? Look at verse five. And Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, the little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So Jacob thought he was going to die. You remember back in verse 29? Look at chapter 45, verse 20, 28. He thought he was going to die. But we know from Genesis 47, verse 28, that Jacob lived in Egypt another 17 years after he was reunited with Joseph. So not only did God bring him to his final destination, but he blessed him with another 17 years where he gets to see his children and his grandchildren live and thrive. It's a reminder for us that our life is not in our hands. Jacob thought for sure he was dead. He thought for sure he might might see his son and then die. He was right on the verge of death, right? But our, our life is not in our hands. Our timetable is not God's timetable. We're not in control. So God graciously gave Jacob 17 more years because he's a gracious God. 
Now verses 8 through 27 tell of all of Jacob's descendants that traveled with him to Egypt. So think about this. Joseph's brothers weren't commissioned to just go tell Jacob. They weren't, they weren't commissioned to just go tell Jacob, hey, just go get your father. Just go tell him that I lived. They were, they were commissioned to tell all of the family and the extended family. This included the servants in the household, the servants that were, that were in their, their caravan, right? That, like this is a, an extended family. This is a large caravan. And if these brothers don't go and they don't share the good news of the beloved son being alive and ruling and reigning, what happens to their families? They die. Is that not a picture for us today? If we don't go and share the good news that the son lives, that he reigns, that he's alive, that he welcomes you in, that he has provision, then you'll die. You'll die. That, this, is, this is the gospel. So who, who around you today, like Hank said, when you're at the auto store, when you're at a ball game, when you're at the grocery store, who around you today in your sphere of influence, wherever you are, who around you is dying? Who's starving who's famished, that you're sent to go and tell. They need to know, they need to be told that God's dearly loved son lives, that he loves them, that he invites them in to come and see and experience life, experience this love, experience this fullness, experience this provision, unlike anything we could ever imagine. Red Oak, we have to be wagons. We're called to be wagons carrying the words of life to a famished and dying land. Like, that's what we're called to do. Now, my wife asked me this morning if I was going to do this, and the answer was no. So, I'm not going to read all of the names in the genealogy. We'd be here for a long time. But all of these names in verses 8 through 27, like these are the 12 sons of Jacob, with their sons and their daughters listed. But the most important thing is the number 70 there at the end. That number 70 does not include all of the wives of all of the sons and the grandsons, okay? So this is a family tree, and it's, uh, it's not just another genealogy in Genesis, but it's a turning point in the entire book because it's a highlight of the fruition of God's promise to Abraham that it's actually starting to come true. You remember back when God gave the promise to Abraham, him and he and Sarah had no children. And now you're reading literally a family tree. You're reading about a ton of children and the beginnings of a great nation. So I'm going to include this in the, um, the further Genesis resources this week in the email. But Answers in Genesis has tons of articles about, because you can read this and be like, hey, the math doesn't seem like it adds up. That's, that's very interesting. But they have an article entitled, How Many People Actually Went Down to Egypt with Jacob? And it's a fascinating read. I highly encourage you to look into that. But the important thing to dwell on is that God would turn this one family into a nation. He would turn this family, this blessed family, this chosen family in Egypt into the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And a great nation. They would thrive so imagine hearing this as the original audience. They're, they're hearing and they're reading, oh, 
These are our descendants. That's our, that's our, our grand, this is our family tree. Right? Th- this is where we came from. Oh, this is how we got into Egypt in the first place. How did they get there again? God. God sent them into Egypt. It was God's plan to send them into Egypt, knowing they would experience 400 years of slavery. Because God blesses even in the midst of suffering and pain and trials. So whenever we go through hard things in our lives, we can't think that God's abandoned us or that we're alone or that God doesn't know or that God doesn't care because sometimes he sends us into the fire because he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to make us more like his son. And so the nation of Israel is reminded that their God hasn't changed, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he is with them. And you remember who wrote this, Moses, he's the author, right? Well-educated man in Egypt. So he would have known the history of Egypt, but he would also known the history of Israel because he was not an Egyptian. So he's really good at chronologies, and so he's writing these things. And 215 years later, after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and they go get Jacob and move down to Egypt, 215 years down the road, almost 2 million Israelites move out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. A great nation. So Jacob's prayer, back in verse 43, you remember what he prayed for? He prayed for his sons to be shown mercy, right? Do you think that God answered that prayer? Far greater than he could possibly ever imagine. More grace was lavished on him. Unexpected blessings was given to him all because of his beloved son. So Jacob doubted, but then because of the words of the beloved son and he's seeing the wagons, he believed. Today, many doubt the good news that Jesus is alive and well and rules and reigns, but some people believe. And there's definitely some people doubting. There's definitely some numb hearts in the room tonight. But that doesn't change the fact that God has spoken, that God has acted, that God has shown mercy. He's showered you with grace. He's reminded us of his promises and the truth that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is with us, that Jesus rules and Jesus sends us to tell the good news. So don't doubt his word. Examine the wagons and see the richness of them both. Just as it was almost unbelievable that Jacob's beloved son was alive and their family was saved from the famine, so today, for many, it's unbelievable that Jesus is alive and offers salvation to them. Could it be possible that he's alive? That he knows me? That he loves me? That he wants me? That he can forgive me? that he wants me to commune with him? Maybe some wagons have come by your life carrying the words of the beloved son and you've yet to believe. Jacob had to listen, see, get up, and go to the beloved son. Jesus is alive. He's the ruler. He calls each of us to come and see. Come and see. 
And then he commands us to go and tell. Come and see the one who's alive, then go and tell a famished world where to find life. Let's pray. Father, we, as we sung earlier this evening, we praise your name, we bless your name because you are worthy, because you are faithful. Great is your faithfulness, God. We praise you for not changing. We praise you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you for giving us this incredible good news that we can be reading in the book of Genesis today in the year 2022 and be pointed forward back to what you already have done and today knowing the truth that Jesus is alive, that he rules and he reigns because he's defeated the power of sin and death and overcome the grave. Father, I pray that you would grant faith to those who are doubting the gift of repentance that some tonight would trust for the very first time. And, and for those of us who are in the middle of a journey, who are facing uncertainties and the unknown, that we would know that you are with us, that you've never left our side, that you're a God that provides and that you are good and that you reign I pray that we would not forget that you have sent us out into this famished world to share this glorious good news. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.